Hi, my name is Bob, and how do, we, how do I do it in the group? <laughs> I, uh, I think Paula or Jane sent out a little memo about, in fact, several of them. We get little texts from time to time, reminders. I'm speaking on the subject of living from a whole heart. And the reason I'm sharing this is because it's something I'm experiencing, and God's um, teaching me something here. I'm just going to be sharing with you where I'm at, and if it pertains to you or you can take anything away, I think that'd be great. But I think this is significant for me, at least at this point in my life. And um, so if you've ever done any reading in the Old Testament, you probably remember that the nation of Israel suffered for hundreds of years under the leadership of kings who were not so upright. Um, abusive, ungodly leadership to a great degree. There was a few really good men spotted throughout the history, but mostly it was people who just went the wrong way. They fell into sin and idolatry in one form or another. And unfortunately, as the king goes, so goes the nation. Invariably, the people would follow the leading and uh, if the, the person's influence ex was extended for any period of time, the nation began to deteriorate, and the curses came upon the people, and there was bad things that happened. They didn't walk in the fullness and the favor of God. One prime example of that was the life of King Solomon. <clears throat> um, this is David's son, you might remember. He, in 1 Kings 3, it tells us that he had all the best advantages a prince could have. If anyone was ever, ever prepared to lead, it would have been Solomon. He had every advantage known to leadership. He had the perfect model. Everything his dad wrote was available to him. He could have followed in those footsteps more easily than anyone else who was a king of Israel, <clears throat> who wouldn't want to have King David for a father. I think it would be an awesome experience to just be with him. Following David's death, though, Solomon took um, over the ruling in the nation. And uh, 1 Kings tells us that Solomon loved the Lord, walking. And then the Amplified says in parentheses at first, in the statutes and the practices of David his father. And then it has a little dot, dot, dot. It says, only he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. Kind of a side note to, yeah, he started off really well. He was following his father's model and his practices. Only he was sacrificing at these high places that were heathen idols. Further along in the story, in chapter 11, the Bible tells us when Solomon was old, after many years, and a lot of wives, and the influence of these wives who came from pagan nations who wanted to bring the, their, their worship and their gods into Solomon's life, he fell prey to their influence. Do you remember that? It says, um, when he was old, his wives turned his heart away from other gods, from after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father, had been. So there's a, there's a distinction made here between how Solomon followed after the Lord and how David had established that and how he had gone 
the wrong way. Further, there was something about Solomon that was unlike his father David. There was something in him that was, how do I put it, underdeveloped in his relationship with God. And the Lord calls that being not fully devoted. So I want you to hold that thought. We're gonna just work on that just a little bit because it brings us to our main passage tonight, which is in um, 2 Chronicles 25. And this is where I began my notes uh, as the Lord began to speak to me about this subject. So in my journaling, I was reading through this passage and the Lord stopped me and so that I could make some notes and we could have a dialogue about what he was saying here. This author, by the way, they think it's Ezra, by the way, is describing the coming of power of a king named Amaziah. So let me read this for you. Second Chronicles 25, 1 and 2. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 29 years. That's a long term in terms of kings. It's a, quite a span of time and influence in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And I don't know the significance of that except that she was Jewish and her influence was probably good. And then almost as an afterthought again, the Lord just tacks this on and he says, and he did right in the sight of the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord, comma, yet not wholeheartedly. So again, there's this distinction about following after God, but not wholeheartedly. And so there it is again. These, two, these men began well and, and doing right, apparently, according to the practice of David and according to the law and according to, in the eyes of God, they were doing the right things. Yet something was missing in their development. So far so good? So this suggests to me that Amaziah conducted himself um, at a level of obedience with God that mm, checked all the right boxes. Did that, did that, did that, did that. And he went through the regimen of being, uh, of doing right things. Yet there was something amiss. There was a fatal flaw in him that became, that was exposed later in his life. He was not doing what he was doing with his whole heart. It was out of constraint or duty or obligation. For some reason, who knows, God knows. But there was something that was amiss. So I had to ask myself, what is God saying here about this distinction between doing right and doing something with your whole heart? So with that question in mind, I began to delve into this new territory, this new thing called obedience, called wholehearted obedience. Evidently, this was a big deal to God because he's kept punctuating these, these histories of these men saying, they did this right, they got this right, they did this, but never with all of their heart. Wholehearted means this. And these are passionate words, so listen to them carefully. This is, if I were to say I'm wholehearted, I would be saying that I show complete sincerity and enthusiastic total commitment towards something. 
Those are superlatives. Being enthusiastic and totally committed and completely sincere are words that talk about being given fully to something. The synonym for wholehearted others are words like devoted and dedicated, enthusiastic, unshakable, unswerving. These are things these men didn't have. Unconditional, complete, full, total, and absolute. So there's something about this, this picture that God wanted to bring these men to this place where they were totally given to this, and yet something in them was, could not respond or would not respond. But you know, the converse of the word wholehearted is the word half-hearted, which suggests a lack of these passionate characteristics, something's missing in their development. Like King Solomon, King Amaziah began well, but just when everything seemed to be a wonderful experience for him and everything was going right in his kingdom and he seemed to be suddenly exposed by some crises in his life that revealed the lack in his heart. We're not certainly judging him because after all, he's just a man like you and I. We're just making observations about what went wrong here that we can take a look at and make sure we don't make the same mistakes. In verse 14 of that passage, we're told that his first success was his first test. He was faced with a, an, an incredibly huge army of Edomites, and he was overwhelmed by their numbers, their force, their aggression. Everything that was coming at him scared him to death. And yet, when he went to war, he came away miraculously the winner of this war. Totally a miracle of God that he was able to defeat this other army that was much larger. So he came away with some swollen pride and and some arrogance, and he began to kind of strut. And he says... um, When Amaziah returned from a thoroughly miraculous defeating a larger army of Edomites, he also returned to Judah with idols he had taken from their land. He set them up as his own gods, bowed down in front of them, and presented sacrifices to them. How could that happen? How could that happen? What could possibly have changed him from a law-abiding king into a worshiper of idols? How could he abandon the traditions of his father and ancestors, David, and take on the pagan worship of heathen gods? There must have been something that radically shifted in him that caused him to take this other path. So I'm going to talk to you about what I think that was so you can mull it over. It's my opinion that God is always moving toward us in a positive, loving way. I really believe that with all my heart. He's always moving toward us in a positive way. Even if we're being corrected, it's like the words he gave me was, Bob, I am full of grace and I am firm. I'll take hold of you and in my love, I'll redirect you and correct you. But it's never to discard you or disinherit you is so that you can become what I've called you to be. 
I've heard it said that when God looks at us, he's not looking so much at what is wrong, but rather he's looking at what is missing. So if God looks at us and his love is toward us and he's looking us past our sin and mistakes and our errors and judgment and all the dysfunction that we have and he looks past those and says, oh, I know what you need, that'll completely defeat that in your life. So he's coming to add himself to the voids in our hearts. So if that's true, then we have to ask ourselves, what was he looking for in these men that they were missing? For that matter, what does he look for in any man or woman that's missing? Well, what's not there that he can bring that will make us whole? And he has that. It's a gift to us. But it requires our participation. Did you know that? I mean, these guys began well, and they soon showed themselves to be underdeveloped, half-hearted followers of God. In case you didn't know it, we've been there too. Can we all just nod? Okay. And to be truthful, an underdeveloped commitment to the Lord is pretty common among all human beings that I'm aware of. I did 30 years of ministry and a lot of counseling, and let me tell you something, we're all just about the same. We might begin well, but we see that when life tests us, sometimes we falter, don't we? Sometimes we trip, sometimes we stumble, sometimes we go down. But God never abandons us, does he? In our immaturity, in our undeveloped state, he comes to us and says to us the same words he said to me years ago, Bob, I have come to you not to accuse you, but to displace the things in you that don't belong in my son and to add those things that are from me. So there are always issues in our hearts that are not exposed, and until it seems there comes a time of testing. Anybody here been tested? Sure you have. It can be a minor thing that you realize, well, I passed that or I blew that, to a major ordeal that you go through for protracted periods of time that is painful relationally, emotionally, physically, financially, whatever it may be. These things, God hasn't abandoned you in that because you're hurting there's something that's happening in the transaction that he's come to bring something to you that you don't have that's being exposed. Paul addresses this in Romans 12. This is one of my favorite verses because it talks about something that's dear to my heart called process. I believe in process. I love events where God just does a, and I get changed. But guess what? Those don't come often enough for me. Most of the time, he and I are walking this out, and I'm asking a lot of stupid questions. And he just smiles at me, calls me his son. So Paul says here in Romans 12, Brothers and sisters, in light of all I've shared with you about God's mercies, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God, a sacred offering that brings him pleasure. So he's looking for this wholehearted offering. And when we, he doesn't receive that wholehearted offering, he doesn't set us aside or discard us. He says, come closer. Let's talk about what's missing in your experience so I can transform you into the image of my son. 
He said, in fact, this is your reasonable, essential worship. If you want to worship God, then bring me yourself, and you can leave all your stuff behind. It's not important. He says, what I want is your heart. When you bring me your heart, all the places that are broken, I fill them and heal you. And that, when you offer that to him, that becomes your highest worship, is to offer yourself to God in your heart. So how can we do that? How can we offer ourselves completely to God in a way that he considers worship? Well, Paul continues in verse 2 in that same passage, and he says, don't allow this world to mold you into its image. Instead, be transformed from the inside out by renewing your mind. As a result, or when you do that, you will be able to discern what God's will is and whatever God finds good and pleasing and complete. So if we want to make this offering that pleases God, that he looks at and says, that's complete and satisfying to me, he says, then you begin by doing this. You avoid the influence of the world and push it away and you embrace the things that I bring to you and you feed on things that bring you life. And this is our point in studying Solomon and Amaziah tonight. <clears throat> they were just human beings. I just picked them out of the Bible, out of a whole entourage of people who failed and were ugly. And God put all of them in there so we'd remember that we're all the same. But like them, many of us have begun well and done our best, you know, to check the boxes and keep all the rules and the letter of the law. Didn't we start off, some of us start off by trying to be religious? and to please God by what we do and what we don't do and not associating with people who do. <laughs> when life happens, we find we aren't prepared to overcome the pressures of the world's influence. Sometimes we're underdeveloped in our souls and the point, and that's the, really the point of this whole message. Starting well does not guarantee a good finish. Have we learned that? Without care and determined development, we can easily be taken in by the world's influences and find ourselves in the same places, worshiping things that we wouldn't have called gods, but certainly have become idols in our lives. Is this too heavy for you? <laughs> it's my story. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> so the question remains, how then can we be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit in this way? How does this process work? Am I just victim to it, or do I have a part to play? How does this total reformation of my thinking take place? Is it by more and better Bible study, or more church life, or more community service? Well, let's look at the life of Jesus for a moment. The perfect prototype of a kingdom person. Just like Jesus, we don't battle the enemy using natural means. We don't fight back in the same way the world does. We've been given spiritual weapons which will overcome life's battles. These weapons are designed to destroy what Paul calls strongholds of belief and thought. So the weapons that we have are spiritual and they were given to us to destroy the strategy and the values and the principles of this world so that we could see the difference and embrace truth 
Am I making sense so far? I'll give you more. He gives us further instructions in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. He says, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy or argument or lie, whatever you want to call that word, that opposes God. So everything that we, the world brings to us and calls truth that resists God, he is a demonic strategy. It's a deceptive fantasy and a lie. And is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. So the true knowledge of God comes from setting those things aside and looking at the truth from God. Is this too simple? Okay. So here we go. Arguments and lies that oppose God. This is the enemy's strategy in your life to cripple you and to cause you to walk a different path, to believe things about God that are not true and things about you that are not true. What are these arguments and lies anyway? Well, he gives us another clue and he says we capture these things like prisoners of war. Faulty patterns of thoughts and demonic schemes, you know, these, these deceptive fantasies. We capture them like prisoners of war and we insist that they bow in obedience to the anointed one. That language is hard to put into practice sometimes. It, to me, that needs clarification. How do I do that? So he goes on to say, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture. For one thing, stop it. <laughs> I thought, well, that's easy for you to say. Half the time, I don't even know I'm engaged in those things. I'm not that smart. I really need a savior, I think. And so I asked God, where am I caught up in something that would cripple me, that I need to identify as a deceptive fantasy or an argument or lie of the devil? I thought it was interesting I found language for this transformational process, and that's what this is. If we want to become wholehearted, there is a process of transformation that begins to fill in our development. Wouldn't you like to know what that is? I'm gonna give you four points, and these points are a sequence of development in our lives. This is not my original information. This is just language that, that Graham Cook and Allison Bound used that I thought was really helpful. So I wanna give credit to the people who wrote this. This experience thus far is mine. The process is mine, but these are the tools that have been given to me as I understand them. The first thing we need to begin to look at is our lens. Our transformational journey begins by seeing and hearing things differently. If the eye is the window to the soul, haven't you heard that? Then what we view goes straight into our soul unfiltered. Hmm. If the first step to becoming wholehearted is to filter what we take into our souls through our eyes and ears and our perceptions, then the second step is what comes when we begin to think on things that we have seen and heard. As we see these things and we view them, we begin to think on them. We ponder them. We consider them. You with me? And so what I've looked at and what I have viewed or heard that are these deceptive fantasies as I began to think about them, things go badly for me. 
On the other hand, the things that I view and receive from God's hand and begin to think on, things take a turn and go in a good direction. In our development, be advised that what you view and hear and ponder and think on are things that will send you in the direction of your development. Does that make sense? The second step is what comes when we begin to think on things that are pure and noble and worthy of God. As I become focused on the things that are worthy of God, that are pure and noble and righteous, I began to develop the second thing which we call a mindset. Whatever we allow into our hearts will affect how we think and create what we call a mindset. Simple enough? What this means, if we focus on the message of the world system, we begin to think and speak and act as they do. Am I right? When we begin to focus on the things of God, entertain those, think on those, meditate on those, and embrace those, we begin to think, speak, and act as he does. If we're going to develop into wholehearted followers of Jesus, we need to change what we consume. What they say in the 60s, you are what you eat. <laughs> You're still saying that, aren't you, Julie? We are what we consume, and that's not just physical. What you take in is what nourishes you or makes you sick. If we're going to develop into wholehearted followers, we need to change. Our spiritual and emotional food will change our mindsets. So we will need to consider again what we give our attention to. Now, this is not just one of these finger-wagging things. You know what? This is between you and God, what you do. Everyone has a different conscience. But somewhere along the line, when your conscience betrays you and you suddenly feel sick about what you're doing, you need to take a check, don't you? Hold it. Time out. I need to reevaluate this and see if this is taking me where I want to go. Because if this is not taking me where I want to go, I'm out of here. I'm going to back up to where I got lost and retrace my steps. And this takes us to our third step. So we've looked, talked about what? One and two. The first thing was our lens. The second thing was our mindset. And the third thing is our language. I'm not talking about using foul language. You know, that's just behavioral. and That can change in a moment. We can speak things that are in the right crowds. We can say all the right things. And when we're not with them, we can say anything we want to, right? So I'm not talking about just foul language. I'm talking about the language of our heart. Your language is the fruit of your heart. What we see and hear becomes what we think, and those thoughts find their expression through our language. So if you hear me speaking more than one time, I might be really good once, but if you hear me speaking and my language, it sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, I might have been with him. They said that of the, um, the apostles after Jesus died. These men are uneducated fishermen and tax collectors. And then they noted, oh, I know how they do this. And because they've been with Jesus. It's the same thing, isn't it? And they were amazed. It was a witness. Because there was a transformational development in these men over these years they were with Jesus. They came from being 
what the community knew them to be to something totally different, a different creation. When we feed on the Father's words to us, rather than on the world's drama and lies, then even our language will be transformed into words that are life-giving, encouraging, and blessing. People will begin to sense Jesus in us. And that's not where we start. That's the fruit of where we've been. You get it? And our fourth point in this transformational development in my heart is finally changing my behavior. Now, this is where the church has had this completely backwards. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in some pretty strict church eology in, in my youth. And they started with behavior first. Let's just get you acting right, and then we'll see if we need to do anything different about your heart and what you believe. I might not even had a good, I might not had any kind of training or development or what it means to become whole, but they expected me act, act like a new creation from day one. Guess what? I didn't do so well. And I've had 10 years worth of recovery groups where they didn't do so well. So something's broke in that way of doing business. So let's say that the behavior comes at the end of this transformation. Can we say that? It begins with, what do you want to see and behold and think and express? Let's start with that. If you want to, you can change where you are and go to a better place. God's inviting you to do that. He's not beating the, the pulpit. He's not screaming that you're walking away saying, come closer. Come closer. Your actions and behavior will change, both toward God and toward people, when they come from the fruit of a spiritual transformation. Anybody believe that with me? What happens when I realize I've become a captive to the world's message? Suddenly I realize it one day because of the fruit of my behavior and my language. I can't believe I did that. I can't, that's not something Jesus would do. And I'm appalled that I would do that. I didn't even know that lived in me. That was ugly. I know there's a place in me that's underdeveloped that he wants to touch me. That's not condemnation. That's an invitation to become more fully developed. Do you understand the difference? God's encouragement to us tonight is to wake up. To wake up and to realize this is a slippery slope and to take note of the climate change in our souls. There is a climate change in your soul right now. God's creating a new atmosphere in your life, and he's calling you to something else. He is gentle and firm, and he wants his children to all look like he's their father. And we have such a glorious, gracious, loving father who's calling us to this, this, what I call a process of changing our minds. And it begins with him negotiating with you. Do you want to go there? You want to do this with me? Do you want to become who I said you were that you didn't believe? This is the way. Agree with me and let's get you focused. Let's get you your mindset on the truths instead of what you hear on the news and hear every day and all the drama and junk that's going on in people's lives. Dismiss that. You can care about people without being involved in their drama.
But let's begin to become people who speak life and not death, not criticism and sarcasm and judgment. So you can make a choice which way you go with this, but you may need a moment to collect your thoughts. I'm going to pray for you. This is a good opportunity for us to say, hmm, sounds like you're doing something and you're inviting me to be part of that. Wouldn't that be good news? I mean, for all of you, I know you are. You're already people who are committed to that process. All I'm telling you is there's a way. So we're going to shine. We're going to put away, and we're going to do as best we know how. We're going to throw off the world's influence and the message that we hear that continues to corrupt our souls. And instead, we're going to ask God to help us here. We're going to begin to reframe our viewing and hearing, our perceptions and our lens, and we're going to begin to think on things that are pure and noble, if you want to. So let me pray for you and give you a chance to respond to that with God. So Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the message of grace. That's a, this is an empowering moment for your people. This is an opportunity for us to say, yes, yes, I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to grow in this. I want to become that person that I dreamed of being but um, didn't think I could. God says tonight, you can and you will because of me. I bless you right now and you're all you're thinking that you would turn to him and repent. Change the way you think in your heart and walk toward him and away from the world. Love the people and throw off their message in the name of Jesus. Amen.